G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where this week we're talking the final episode of Series 10, The Doctor Falls. Hello, Dave. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad, Rob. I'm feeling fresher than I did last week, but uh, I'm freezing. <laughs> yes. Well, you and me both, although I think you're getting the worst of it. I, I think I've got a balmy eight degrees here. Yeah, it was two degrees when I was watching the episode. I think it's warmed up a couple since then, but this is definitely one of the coldest winters we've had in Australia for, oh, look, at least since I moved into this place here, which is three or four years ago. But we're not here to discuss the weather. People out there are probably saying, come on, you bastards, get on with it. <laughs> no, that's right. No, that's right. You know, we're all rugged up. I've got my Vegemite on toast, so we're ready to go. Lovely, lovely stuff. Well, the Doctor Falls. So, Rob, what was your word of the week? My word of the week, Dave, is achievement. Okay. Mine is logopolitan. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay, I'm looking forward to that segment already. But first, I guess before we even talk about the episode itself, there's the, the pre-title sequence. Well, let's even go back a little bit further because this has been this has been an extraordinary week, I think, as for us as Doctor Who fans. And we said last time as we left the episode, there's never been a more exciting time to be a Doctor Who fan. And yes. it's really felt that way this week. I said last night on a Twitter post, I've got more anticipation and more trepidation for this episode than I have for anything since Day of the Doctor. Because I think we all enjoyed last week's episode. Whether we thought it was an 8 or a 9 or a 10, I think there was overwhelming enjoyment of this episode. Yeah. So we really were looking forward to this conclusion. We knew it was going to be... You know, there's the, the the start of the end of Capaldi. But we also knew that Moffat and Endings can sometimes be a strange beast. Yes. <laughs> you know, when I look at the five we've had before this, there are a couple I really don't like. And even the ones I do like, I don't think really have delivered on their premise. Um, I, I quite like The Big Bang, but I don't think it really delivers on The Pandorica Opens. I, I quite like Heaven Sent, but compared to Face the Raven and especially Hellbent, I don't think it delivers. Mm. So there's this whole, we're really excited and we're kind of a little nervous. It's been a really intense, funny week for Doctor Who fans. Yes, I was saying similar on social media. I was using the word anxiety. I was saying, I'm having some anxiety about this episode. Some of it is good, fun anxiety, if there's such a thing. And that was, will we see a new Doctor? Of course we don't. But, you know, at the time I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, this is making me feel really anxious, but in a good way. But, yeah, I was also having some sort of darker, worse anxiety, like, what if this episode doesn't deliver? And, in fact, before I went to bed last night, I said, okay, in the morning I'm going to watch this and either glory or ignominy uh, awaits. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, say it now. Did it deliver, or was it glory, or was it ignominy? I have I have points to make, but overall, yes, it delivered. Yeah, I'm the same. There, there are some things that we can discuss, and a couple of things that were a little bit poor, but boy, yeah, it delivered. It is it is comfortably the best of the Moffat finales, comfortably. I would agree. So let's go back to that pre-credit sequence, uh, because scarecrows, I think, are spooky at the best of times, but this went up a notch. To have these kids, you know, going through this lovely pastoral landscape, but you've got the pre-Cybermen, Cybermen, if we can call them that, the patients, whatever they're meant to be called, hanging up, and then we learn later that they're the corpses of those guys because they're being shot by the landholders and strung up around the countryside. I thought, this is macabre. This is this is kind of cool. It was a really good cold open because from the first shot of that pastoral landscape, I'm going, okay, 
what's this? Is this Mondas? Is this another world? Is it another part of the ship? Is it far in the future? Is it a different, what's going on? And then, yeah, you see the scarecrows. You're like, oh, hang on, let me let me look closely. I think those, those are the patients. And then one moves. Yeah. I got to watch the previous episode again last night with my wife. And so after hearing some comments on podcasts that when we saw the ship at first, we were getting peaks inside the windows. Some of those peaks were of pastoral landscape. Some were of beaches and vistas and all sorts of things. I, I had a better appreciation that this was, was likely on the ship. Although one thing I will say about this landscape, and it's just a small thing, and people say, Rob, you're being picky, but I don't know why on a colony ship you would create like a hilly landscape or, you know, a landscape that looked like it does. I know they're using the real world to film it, but... This is an example where I think I would have liked to have seen something a bit more artificial, if that makes any sense. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be economical to make a hilly landscape, for example, if you're using this for agriculture or something. Yeah, look, that's interesting. Did you take it as the crew that left um, the lower floor to go and explore? They were mentioned last week. You know, they went off to floor 500 or something, and they were never seen again. So we assume that those are the these are, we assume that these are the descendants of those people. Yes. Did you take it that the floor was like they literally walked out of the lift and that's how it is and they've just moved in? Or they found a sort of a blank agricultural landscape and they've sort of landscaped it since then and made it their own in the same way that downstairs went from being the engine rooms to a city? Do you mean that they maybe have the ability to terraform, like people terraform planets, they've terraformed the floor? Uh, Not so much terraformed, but like they might have found a, you know, um, unused, sort of blank, ready-to-go agricultural landscape. Mm. And over, over generations, you know, they've planted forests and they've diverted lakes and they've built houses. And so that sort of left made it more natural-looking. Yeah, look, I think they have because the doctor towards the end of the episode told Nardole he'll probably find some livestock in, in cryo uh, sleep yeah. or something. So, yeah, clearly it's designed to be moved into and, and they probably build the houses and such. But just the topography if I can go that deep of, of the landscape. I just thought it might have been more flat, more normal. But I guess if, if if the bottom floor of the ship's been there for a thousand years, would a middle floor have been about 500 years? I guess, but people wouldn't have been on it for 500 years, perhaps. True. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole there. Yeah, that, that, that's quite a rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I just like this pre credit sequence. I, I thought those, the hanging up the, the corpses was quite macabre. Yeah, it's definitely got me interested. Absolutely. Then into the episode, gosh, where where on earth can we start with this? With the characters, with the plot, there is so much to unpack. The first thing that I would say is that I don't think there's any character in here that let me down. I'd agree, yep. So I guess what we need to talk about then, well, well let's talk about that for a moment. I, I, As somebody who has been cynical in the past or oh, not even cynical, who, who just sometimes hasn't had some of these characters work for him, I really enjoyed Nardle in this story. I quite enjoyed Missy in this story. I think that this atmosphere in the episode really helped to bring out the best drama and the best character and the best character within the drama Mm. of everyone we had here. There was a real tone through this whole thing that just made everything work. Yeah, look, I completely agree. And you mentioned Missy there. So let's talk about Missy and the Master because there's obviously some real interplay going on there. Mm. I I liked it on the whole, although it did feel a bit off at times. And I don't mean the erection joke, folks. 
<laughs> I mean, off in a in a different sort of way. I mean, I said in the last podcast that she appeared to go over to him immediately, like the way she walked and stood on one side of Bill and he was on the other side. And that certainly came true at the start of this episode. She was absolutely on his side, though, considering how they would kill the Doctor. Have you ever been drowned? Have you ever felt the blade? All that sort of thing. But the toing and froing of whether she was really with him or not just didn't land at times. And maybe that was to make us confused, Dave. Maybe as confused as the Doctor was meant to be about her intentions. I don't know. It just it just didn't land all the time for me. I can see what you're saying. I was probably a bit better disposed to it than you were. Mm-hmm. I certainly took the view that Missy was still very capable of evil. Yeah. Um, I think that in the first part, she genuinely was back to the master's side, uh, whether it's a case of the, his influence, whether she's just remembering the good times she had being evil or a combination thereof. You know, she was quite genuinely torturing the Doctor. She was quite genuinely happy to leave the Doctor for dead when they got into the little rocketeer ship. And 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 I think, you know, when he said, you know, were you really tricking the master or are you just pretending? And she said, look, don't spoil the moment. To me, that was a pretty firm indication that, no, she was bluffing. She she would happily have left him for dead. Hmm. No, that, that, that that's quite fair. And just mentioning that little, um, that little ship that appears, that is one of the most redundant lines in the whole episode. The Doctor says, Nardole, have you been useful? He says, yep, I found this in the loading bay. And then the little spaceship appears. And then we cut to the inside and Nardole says, shuttlecraft. And I thought, thanks, mate. I couldn't have figured that out without you. <laughs> I can see it's a shuttlecraft. <laughs> I, I thought it looked very much like the um, flyers in the very last episode of Blake 7, actually, but don't know whether that's coincidence. Or, you know, let's face it, how many ways can you design a shuttlecraft? Exactly. But did we need him to sit there at the controls and just say, shuttlecraft? I've actually gone back. I just watched that scene on iView again just to make sure I didn't imagine it. But yeah, he does. He, he inform, informs us it's a it's a shuttlecraft. Okay, good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, that was a bit stating the obvious. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was the most redundant line in the episode. I just found it funny. So we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, yeah, but look, I, I thought their interplay was good. There, there were moments there with the sort of the jokes between them and the, the use of the pronouns where I thought, why have we never had a multi-doctor story this well written? Mm. You know, with that, that banter, and, you know, we'll flick back to something like the two doctors where people always say the big disappointment is not only are Colin and Patrick, you know, barely in the episode together, but when there are, there just isn't quite that banter. And I looked at the banter here and I thought there's actually some really good stuff in here. There's also some slightly strange stuff and a little bit sort of off stuff, but at its height, there was some really good stuff between those two. And I really love John Sim. I thought this was John Sim backed his absolute best and totally redeeming. Uh, some of the ridiculousness of his appearance in um, uh, end of the end of time, whatever that one was called. Oh hell yes, it's like that never happened. <laughs> you know? It really is. It really is. Yeah. It's a little confusing though that when we last saw him, he was playing the good guy fighting Rassilon. Now he's come back and he's the total bad guy again. But I guess he's been on this ship for a long time. So. And I guess was he fighting Rassilon because he suddenly found his good side, or just? Because he'd realised Rassilon had screwed him over and he was out for a bit of revenge. Uh, that's a good point too, actually. Maybe the enemy of my enemy is my friend or something for the Doctor. Yeah, I, I don't think there's yeah, I don't think there's any particular change of character for the Master in that. Now I think about it, I think he was just like, "You bastards, you do this to me, well I'm coming for you." Mm. Okay, no, that's fair enough. Who should we get on to next? Gosh, there's 
there's a few things I want to talk about with everyone. Maybe Nardole. Cause, yeah, okay. Because we, we, we already touched on him uh, a moment ago. Um, his spare parts experiences weren't going to help Bill. Uh, that was made pretty clear from the start because Missy refers to Bill as having gone through a grinder and being, you know, squished into her suit. And I thought, aha, that confirms it. Because through through the week, people have been saying, oh, look, I think these early Cybermen are really just men in suits. And so, you know, they, they might have a way to save Bill. But Missy made it explicit at the start that they've certainly been augmenting them a bit more than people might have assumed. I'd been saying similar on social myself. I, uh, in fact, I said to Brendan uh, Jones from Flight Through Entirety, how do you explain the height difference? You know, they've done something to it. That's, uh, she's not just Bill in a suit. No, not, not, not to mention the fact that, you know, her heart, lungs, spinal column and several other vital organs were also got shot out. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, Nardole, we've been saying he's got all this, I've got new lungs, I won my hand, I used to be blue, he's got all this experience, is he going to be the one who saves Bill? And right from the start, I think, you know, you could rule a red line straight through that, that wasn't going to be happening. So it was, hmm, how are they going to use Nardole in this episode? And in, and in the end, he turned out to be quite quite fun and quite useful. And I mean, you mentioned a moment ago, you don't normally really like the character, but here you did. Yeah, absolutely. I thought this was... The best of him. Look, he, he's been growing on me as the season's progressed, and hopefully listeners, as you've listened to these episodes, you, you felt that. There have been moments when I've been disappointed and he's felt a bit retrograde, but he's, he's got better and better, I think, as the series has gone on, and he was he was great here, which leads to the question, is this is this the end of his story? It would seem that way, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I've got some, some thoughts that I was, I was going to pull in during the end, but I'll, I'll briefly touch on them now. We'll come back to this in greater detail later. But when the pilot saves the day, Dave, and it's like, well, Bill, I've saved you, and, you know, I can convert you, your molecules back to being human and making chips, or we can go run around the universe and you can drip water like me, or, you know, whatever. And she says, well, can we save the Doctor? Yes, we can. Okay, fantastic. There's not one word of, can we save Nardole and the kids? <laughs> I mean, we didn't need to see it, but maybe there could have been a line in there. Can we save the Doctor? Yes, we can. Can we get Nardole and the kids? Yes, we can. But but no, so presumably Nardole has stayed on the ship and lived his life and died there. And I don't think they're particularly safe, because won't the Cybermen just figure out that they're moving from floor to floor and just go from floor to floor eventually? Yeah, so that's really interesting, because you're right. There wasn't even the line, you know, before we go anywhere, is Nardole okay? You know, there wasn't that line. You know, there wasn't even, an, and again, sorry to reference Blake 7 again, fans, but, um, you know, at the start of season three of Blake 7, where a couple of the crew sort of, you know, aren't found again after the, the Galactic War, there's at least the line, oh, oh yes, you know, we've, we've heard from Jenna. She's on a hospital ship out somewhere. She, she's okay. You know, we don't need to worry about her. You know, she's fine. Or, or, or that wonderful line in um the second series of the original Tomorrow People where a couple of characters don't come back and it's like, Oh, they've gone off to the Galactic Centre to represent Earth for a while. Oh, that's great. Will we see them again? No. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, <laughs> there wasn't anything, any acknowledgement about it. It was just, oh, who cares about Nardle? Well, well, Dave, in the greatest tradition of uh, fan theories on Doctor Who podcasts, I'm going to say Bill's been playing the long game. And ever, <laughs> ever since the events of Scotland, where Nardole didn't come looking for her, she's paying him back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's assume that Nardal is stuck on that ship and he's going to live out the rest of his life defending the um, the colony from the Cybermen. Was that a good ending? Did it work? 
it's it's reasonably unsatisfying when you think about it like that, although his departure scene was quite good. There was, you know, sort of arguing right up to the end, but in the end where he just said, you know, Doctor, and nodded his head, and Bill nodded his head and, and left, I felt a bit of emotion there. So his departure scene was good, but what his actual fate is maybe doesn't seem as good, if that makes any sense. I, I think that it's it could have been stated a little bit more because I think in some ways it's kind of the best tradition of Doctor Who of this guy who was, you know, a bit of a, a, a mercenary, not necessarily in the military sense, but in the, you know, he would sell his wares to whichever dubious person would want to hire him sort of thing for his life. And he's been involved in a lot of mis, mis, misadventure uh, for him to sort of having met the doctor, been influenced for the better. And now, well, you know what? I'm going to live my life for good. That's, that's not a bad little story arc. I, I don't know if that's, intentional or I'm reading too much into it or or what but if you think about it in that terms it kind of is quite a nice little arc it is the the line about who's I, did they say who's the stronger was did they use the word stronger yeah that that didn't work for me no at all <laughs> no not I, at all because I'm sitting there and the doctor's saying you know who's the best suited to go and do this one person here can live for a long time and regenerate and he's strong and the other's not and I'm like well, clearly it's not Nardle then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he may have a long life if he's quite cybernetic, but uh, he's still partly human, it seems. Uh, yeah, I was fully expecting at that point the Doctor to go, you're right, I'm the one who should be looking after the colonists. Um, if you're happy to sacrifice your life, well, I'm not happy about it, but you're right, this does make sense, and I think I might have to let you. Mm. Mm. Only to then walk off into a forest and blow himself up. So... <laughs> Yeah. And, and it occurs to me now, as I'm having this discussion, was Moffat having a cheeky little go at the idea of companions leaving by being married off by people that sort of met five minutes ago? With regard to the, the matriarch of the farmhouse? Yes. Was, was, was that his Leela and Andred send-up moment? Oh, it could be. <laughs> In the best fan tradition, let's say yes. Let's say definitely yes. Let, good. Let's go with that. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was that's an interesting moment, that, that scene at the table where she sort of puts her glass uh, right up on top of his and he pulls his away. <laughs> I, I loved it because there was this idea that Nardle is not a human and he doesn't look at humans as being his, his peers. He looks at them as being another species in the same way that we would look at other species. Mm. And, and I think that's really appropriate in the fact that he doesn't um, sexualize humans because they're a totally different species and ooh, that's a bit off, is great except it does make all the stuff about the Doctor and Companions liking each other really, really off. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. It's a, uh, mm, yeah, okay, I won't go down that rabbit hole. No. <laughs> I <no>. almost did. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. <laughs> Who else have we got? Bill. Okay, so, Rob, we left this a week ago with you saying and me agreeing Bill was toast. Yes. She was done. Yes. Bill clearly was not done. Mm, yes and no. And I mean yes in terms of in the in the little world they're in on the ship, there's no going back. Um, this is what I was mentioning a moment ago. Missy says, you know, she's been fed through a grinder and squeezed into the suit. And you think, okay, so there is no going back. Mm -hmm. But yes, of course, there was a way out for her in the end. So I I liked that. In the world they were in, there was no way out. 
how she was saved came from outside. And whether that's satisfying to people or not, what people what people think about that or not, um, I've got some things to say myself. Um, so it was sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah, I find it really hard to review and judge this part because it is it is something that you can do in two ways. Do you go for did it work emotionally and dramatically? And you can go for did it work conceptually? Uh, and I think the answer to each of those questions is slightly different mm. because in in the emotion and the flow of the episode, I kind of went with it. I thought, okay, this isn't isn't bad. Uh, I do like the fact that, yes, she couldn't just be taken out of the cyber suit and there was no easy solution for it. But at the same token, the the Moffat magic, you know, Moffat magical science that sometimes pops up where, you know, a wave of a hand and suddenly, I don't know what happened. Like the, the, the puddle turned up, mm. um, suddenly Bill's out of the suit and the suit falls over, but it's not really Bill. So what was that? Did, so, so let me let me work this through. They did the puddle take the essence of Bill out of the out of the suit? Help me, Rob. I think so. I think essence is the right word because there was some organic element of Bill in there. She's taken those molecules. She's reconstructed Bill. So the the machine part, the Darth Vader part of Bill, has fallen to its knees and fallen over. Bill says, "Am I dead?" And she's she's more like, well, no, you're like me. Well, that is sort of dead because she's no longer human. She can be made human again. That's made explicit as well. The pilot has all these magical powers. And, you know, a few people had suggested this through the week, that the pilot mm. would come and save everything. And I'd kind of discounted it or, or, or maybe just not given it much thought because to me the pilot was kind of a rubbish construct like this sentient engine oil that could follow the Doctor through time and space to the end of the universe. I thought it was just way too powerful and weird a thing and i thought we've done that we've moved on but I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that mm. yeah look i'm not going to condemn this because i did enjoy the episode and the drama and the emotion did work so yeah it's not awful it's not horrible it could have been a lot lot worse there is a part of me though that is just a little bit disappointed that once again we've got a companion who ends up being more than human, ends up being something amazing and special and kind of magic. And have we seen this all before again and again? Yeah. Well, even going back to last series, we had Clara and me, you know, zipping off together. Did they hold hands? I can't recall. But here we have Bill and the pilot holding hands and zipping off. It, it, it played out in a very similar way. I mean, on a story level, what that sentient engine oil could do made the way Bill was saved, credible, because the sentient engine oil could do that. Yeah. But was that satisfying, I guess, is the question. Yeah, and 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 so, you know, my, my enjoyment of the, isn't this a wonderful moment for Bill, isn't this a great emotional end to the episode, was tempered by the part of my brain going, but how did a puddle of oil do that? It just just did, I guess. You know, that, that as somebody that likes that sort of that slightly harder edge to his sci-fi, he likes... Likes Doctor Who be edged slightly more towards science fiction than science fantasy. Hmm. It, it just nagged at my brain a little bit, and if I can switch that part of my brain off, I think I'd absolutely love this. And those fans that do like their Doctor Who to be more science fantasy than science fiction, I think will find this the most wonderful moment and have absolutely loved the fate of Bill. Yeah. And I think it depends on where you fall on that spectrum, perhaps how you feel about this. 
Let's take a side street just for a moment. We often talk about Babylon 5, and people listening out there, some of them may even know Babylon 5 themselves. How did you feel, given that a lot of Babylon 5 is very science fiction, but then you'd have episodes with the Vorlons, which became very magical, for want of a better word. Did you like those episodes? Uh Generally, no. Generally, the Vorlon <laughs> episodes were some of the weaker ones, yeah. There you go. So, yeah, you, you are more of a hard sci-fi kind of fan. Mm. And if you... Let, let's see. If you wanted Bill to be saved, did you want it to be more like Nardole would use his knowledge of, you know, maybe deconstructing someone and getting her out of the suit? Maybe like when Picard was taken over by the Borg in Star Trek and, you know, then they sort of, you know, brought him back and took the bits off him. Uh, that kind of thing. Well, let's be honest. If I was writing this episode, Bill wouldn't have got out of the suit. Full stop. End of story. Right. You know that that would have been a very hard fate for her. Now, whether uh, now, now, now I'll make explicit in that it's not because I have some bloodlust to see Bill, you know, destroyed or anything like that. Because I loved Bill as a character and I'd wanted to survive. But mm. I think that suburbanization, if it's going to be as scary and as horrible as we want it to be, needs to be final and absolute. And I think that. If the lesson of the story is the hubristic and arrogant nature of the Doctor and what he's done has led his companion having this fate worse than death, that needs to hold. Now, I, I do acknowledge that because the Doctor didn't see Bill escape with the puddle, as far as he's concerned, he has caused the death of Bill. Yeah. As far as he knows, Bill blew up on the spaceship. Yeah, he's not been able to save her. Yeah, so... um it's kind of having its cake and eating it too. I can sit there and go, well, look, at least the doctor still learns his lesson and thinks he cost a companion that's her life. Mm. Uh, those people who wanted the wonderful magical fantasy, Bill lives happily forever with her, her lover, get that as well. So I guess we all kind of got what we want. So it's satisfying everybody and perhaps by being both not quite satisfying anybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. And I, I just stress again, within the, the confines of the story, what the puddle did is completely fine because the puddle has been set up to have those powers. It's just that I never quite liked the puddle to begin with, so I just didn't like them using it. Look, it's one of those things, and I think we might explore this a bit in our, in our episode next week. Spoilers, everybody. If you are enjoying a season and you're enjoying an episode and something a bit odd happens, you allow your enjoyment to carry you through that. If you're watching a season episode and going, this isn't really working, oh, that's bad, that's bad, and something like that happens, you go, and there's another bad thing. Mm. And because I was enjoying this whole season and I was loving this episode, I allowed my enjoyment to beat my cynicism and carry me through and enjoy the moment. Not to say that in the hard light of day when we're reviewing this episode, there aren't parts I'm cynical about, but, but I stress I enjoyed it in the moment. Look, took the words right out of my mouth there. I, I enjoyed this episode on the whole, so I, I went with it. But it did sort of niggle at the back of my brain, and my brain was sort of saying, you should be a bit more annoyed by this than you are. <laughs> you should be a bit more annoyed. And, and above all of this, let's talk about Pearl Mackey's performance. Oh, hell yes. Okay. Because that, that, to me, I am struggling to think in the new series of an episode where the Doctor's companion has given as good and powerful a performance as Pearl Mackey did today. I'd agree with that, yeah. You know, during the week there were people saying, have we seen Pearl Mackey's final performance in the previous episode? Because now she's in the suit, what's going to happen? And I thought, oh, they'll find a way to do flashbacks or something. You know, we'll have her acting in this episode. And of course we had 
her acting in scenes where everyone else is seeing the Cyberman, but Bill is is there acting. It, it was a little strange that the matriarch of the house did bring her some blankets. Um, <laughs> I thought, why would you be bringing blankets to a Cyberman? But it sort of set up the scene and, and made, I guess, some people out there think, what's going on here? Has Bill been changed back in the in the couple of weeks they've been at the farmhouse? Did you pick straight away? Yes. Did you pick straight away what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Ab- yeah. absolutely picked it. Um, and I was thinking to myself, though, there will be some people out there saying, what? What's going on? Has she been changed back? Oh, this is great. But no, no, I absolutely picked that from the start. And, and just one minor technical criticism. It, it was revealed this week Bill was waiting down there for 10 years. Yes. Shouldn't she have changed her hairstyle or something in that time? <laughs> like, shouldn't she have gone a bit grey? Or this is one of just thing, and I think it's important because a lot of us during the week were like, "Well, was she down there for two months, two years, ten years, whatever?" It's revealed as ten years. I think that could have been even better if we'd sort of seen Bill age. You know, seen her. You know, one scene she's got her old hair, then another scene. You know, maybe it's been cropped back, and another it's in a ponytail. And you know, with with grey with grey strips through it or. You know, I think if we'd seen Bill aging, it would have really helped that idea that she's waited a long time for the Doctor. I think so. I think that wasn't as explicitly put forward as it could have been. Obviously, there were there were ex- explanations several times of what was happening on the ship, but it, I think it still didn't really hit home as well as it could have. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're up to the Doctor. I think we are. And this is, well, it's basically Capaldi's regeneration story, even though it's not his last story. <laughs> It is, and I struggle to think of a better performance from Peter Capaldi than this. This was this this was his Caves of Androzani, the one where you go, this is the best performance you've ever given, and it's over. Yes, yes. I mean, talking about Caves of Androzani and thinking of Pete, or Davo, as I like to call him, running along. Do, do you know when you say Davo to English people, they get absolutely freaked out? You can't call a doctor Davo. Such an Aussie nickname, isn't it? <laughs> Good. Then when Davo is running, you know, across those sands and things are blowing up and mud's landing on him and stuff, that that's great. And here that sort of comes to mind when Capaldi's running through that forest blasting Cybermen and calling out the names of past encounters, you know, like Telos, Mondas, Planet 14, whatever he was saying. I was waiting for, that's for Adric, you bastards. Um, he, he, was, he was more like the War Doctor to me than the War Doctor ever was. You know, oh, I'm the War Doctor. I write things on walls. Uh, this, was, <laughs> this, was, this was absolutely fantastic. You know, it was, it was his last stand. Bugger it, I'm just going to shoot these buggers. It was fantastic. And, and that was very caves to me. That was the Doctor being a, a bit unlike the Doctor, perhaps. It's the Doctor when he thinks that it's all over. Yes. And, and in Caves, I think, you know, he, he thought, well, this is it. I'm dying. If I can do nothing else, at least I can save Perry. Here, it's the same thing. He's going, I'm dying. This is all, all that's left. And if the last thing I do is save some innocent people, well, you know, I'm just going to go out doing that. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, interestingly, straight after the explosion... And I thought, how did he survive this? I guess he put a little force field around himself or something. You know, this is the, you know, I, I thought there would be stars moment. You know, this this beautiful scene. He was very, mm. he was very clean. They grunged him up in later scenes as if remembering, oh, shit, he's been in, a, in an explosion. <laughs> Better put some soot on his face. But immediately afterwards, he wasn't very uh, sooty at all. But uh, that aside, just, just a beautiful scene. Out of many great scenes in this episode. Yeah, that, that really was kind of adorable and it kind of makes me 
almost wish that he's not having a Christmas special now because all, all those little bits in there, while there's tears, there's hope. Yeah. I thought there'd be stars. You know, if we've now got to go through a whole other episode, it's it's perhaps a little bit of a shame. It's kind of like David Tennant where, you know, you have that big um, Journey's End season finale and you go, wow, what a fantastic end to the Tennant era and to the Russell T Davies era. And, you know, you've got all of his spin-off characters all together. And you go, wow, what a way to end what has been a fantastic time for the show. Oh, we've got three more episodes, though. Mm. And I hope it's not going to be like that. You know, we've had this wonderful emotional ending for Capaldi. Oh, but we've got another 40 minutes of him. Yeah, well, I kept thinking this whole time, is this the story I'd want to go out on if I was the Doctor? You know, we, we know the Christmas special's coming and we're told it's going to be a bit lighter. But I guess the damage is already done to his body in this story, so this is pretty much his big moment. This is his regeneration story to all intents and purposes. And I, I thought, yes, I, I think I'd be pretty happy with this as my finale. It just depends now, of course, on how he's going to interact with uh, the first Doctor. Yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. A couple more bits on Capaldi. So the original cause of the regeneration, was it that cyber hug? The the initial one with the electricity sort of Return of the Jedi style. Yeah. Ah, it may have started there, but I think when he got blasted in the back in the forest, I think that really was it. Yeah, so I, I took it as, and if, if fans have sort of seen this another way, I've got another theory, please write into us because we've got one more week. My theory was, or my understanding was, that, yeah, that, that, that Sith Lord cyber hug thing started the regeneration. Like, that, that kind of, you know, damaged his body beyond the point to repair itself. It needs to regenerate. It wasn't quite so critical that, you know, he couldn't hold it off for a while. And then, yes, when he got blasted by the Cybermen, uh, that's like, no, no, you've, you've got nowhere to go now. This is it. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. It certainly damaged him. That's for sure. I mean... <laughs> Hell, it was a great effect too. It, it, it kind of, it was a real '60s effect to me. You know, this is what Simon mm. would do, like zap people with you know energy like that. You know, great, mm-hmm. fantastic. While we're talking about those those scenes, all through the week, Dave, I was worrying about the Mondasian Cybermen being able to fly. And did you notice in this episode we only saw them for the briefest of brief moments starting to fly? And I thought that didn't need to be there at all. Why was that even there? I cursed out loud at that scene. Yeah. Um, I've, I hate the Cybermen flying. I hated it when they did it the last time. It just looks so cartoony and silly. And, you know, Doctor Who can stretch your credulity a bit and you can suspend your disbelief, but sometimes there are moments that just look so fake and so silly that you go, sorry, you pulled me out of this episode and Cybermen flying is one of those things. And a Cybermon Daisian's flying was even more one of those things and you're right it didn't need to be there yeah i mean okay we've set up that they can fly you know they've done the whole iron man thing in death in heaven okay that's established and it did give a good reason in this episode for the way they could fly up through the floors of the ship and come up through the ground on other floors and and that was kind of cool but the need to show a mondasian cyberman flying i think was redundant and because they barely showed it at all, didn't need to be there. And I was like, why have you done that? Well, I'll, I'll go further and say, given that there are shuttlecraft, they could have all just arrived by shuttlecraft. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> or walk through the uh, the ducting. Well, while we're on the Cybermen, and we seem to be, I'll have some bigger comments in a moment, but I have to get this niggle off my chest, pardon the pun, because given that the Cybermen have got, or the Cybermen Daisins have got, a Mondasian-era cyber weapon attached to their chest unit, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Why are they shooting beams from their antennae? It's a good question. <laughs> like, you've gone to all the trouble of replicating the guns from the 10th planet, and you don't use them. <laughs> well, I guess what was on their head was, was meant to do... If I recall correctly, what was on their head was meant to do something in the 10th planet, but then they couldn't make it work or something because the batteries were sitting on top of their head or something. They couldn't turn the lights on or, or something or other. And here... I guess they wanted to make good on why that is there, perhaps. It's interesting. I'd always thought that those dishes on the top of the 10th planet Cybermen were the way they collected their energy from Mondas. Oh, okay. And I don't know whether that's because I've read it in like a, 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 a Doctor Who book or a fan book or, you know, just spoken about it down the pub with some other fans 20 years ago. I don't know where <laughs> I got this idea from, but... <laughs> Something in my mind sort of said, no, that's how they collect their power from Mondas. Okay, maybe that's been retconned in because maybe it was meant to be a weapon, wasn't used as a weapon, so what's it for? Someone's retconned it in later. I suspect so, yes. Yeah. Uh, Getting back to Capaldi, there was a great use of his Tom Baker voice, I've noted here, for the I am the Doctor line. Um, Although, did you think it lost its oomph when it got reused ten minutes later with the first Doctor? Uh, I thought it did, but I get why they did it for a more casual audience. Yeah, I, I also got that maybe they're trying to establish that all Doctors say this, perhaps. Yeah, or maybe it was just a nice little reference to fans, you know. Kind, kind of like the, you know, where, while there's tears, there's hope, which was a nice little reference back to um, Monster Peladon and Planet of the Spiders, you know. Yeah. This was just a nice little thing for fans to go, oh, he said that line. <laughs> Anything more on Capaldi? I mean, we could probably talk about him all day if we really got got into it. Uh, not for now. Not for now. Okay. Um, so we probably need to finish up the Cyberman discussion. What did you think of the more modern Cyberman appearing? I, I kind of thought, is this necessary? To be honest, um, I didn't actually need to see them. I was quite enjoying the, the Mondasian Cybermen being the, the, the Cybermen for this story. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I do wonder, though, whether, you know, as nice as the costume was when shown in the dark for a few seconds whilst we're feeling emotional at the end of last week, would an army of 50 of them in the harsh glare of sunlight have looked good or would have actually we have seen them as looking a little bit crap? Well, well, the scarecrows certainly looked effective and scary and they're, you know, halfway there and they're in daylight. Yeah, look, that's true. Look, I did, I did like the fact that there weren't other Cybermen come in. I thought I liked the idea that well, you know, they are our upgrades and everything. And I think if I'd had my way, I would have had an army of Cybermondasians. But I wasn't that upset. But on that thing, these aren't Cybermondasians apparently anyway. No, no, that's right. <laughs> so there is a parallel evolution going on. Yeah, in which case, what was that whole reference to Mondas last week? I guess, that, that seems to be totally redundant. I guess to show there's a tie-in and technology on the ship would be Mondasian in nature, and maybe that's why, you know, so it should be no surprise that what they're evolving here is Mondasian-esque, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, certainly the Cybermen as we know them, or think we know them, are still evolving on Mondas. Apparently. Hmm. Apparently. <laughs> Look, I don't know, maybe at some point that ship crashes into Mondas and they find the technology and go, hey, we can do... I don't, no, I'm, I'm, I'm retconning hard there. Uh, was it you last week who said maybe they, the, the ship eventually makes it back to Mondas and 
the Cybermen appear there and that's how they start. But, but now that the ship has the modern Cybermen on it as well, that kind of wouldn't work. Yeah, I don't think that it does work. And I think that they should simply have not have mentioned the planet last week. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Maybe it was just a time with the fact that the Doctor said, they're Mondasian Cybermen. I don't know. Yeah, but they're not. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. <laughs> they're trying to tie together something that, that's not actually actual. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It was still cool to see them. You know, you know look, and this is the thing, you know, listeners, we, we, we sit here and we sort of thrash these things out because we're fans, we do that. Don't get me wrong. The, the glory of seeing... 10th Planet Era Cybermen in Modern Doctor Who was still a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is, and I've been so pleased to see a lot of people, especially, I'm assuming in some cases, fans of New Who only, saying, these are the most scary Cybermen I've ever seen. And it's like, yes, that's right. That's what we've been saying all these years. The body horror of these guys is so much better than the robots of New Who. If only they didn't stomp. Why that's been put in, I don't know. Yeah, and then when you had the others stomping around, I just thought... God, I've hated this stomp for 10 years now. <laughs> yeah, let's have some points of difference between these. They are meant to evolve after all. Yeah. So if we're done with the Cybermen... Yes. Let's get on to the First Doctor. Well, Dave... Or, this... or as some people on Twitter and social media think, the 13th Doctor. <laughs> oh, no, Really? There are a number of people out there, quite a number. If, I, if I've seen it on social media, there must be a few who have gone, oh, gee, I thought they would go for somebody younger for the next Doctor, but gee, this David Bradley guy, why? what's with that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Fair dinkum. And, you know, if you didn't know that your history of Doctor Who, all, all you know is that some guys walked out of the mist, said, I am the Doctor, and in the credits it's gone, and the Doctor played by David Bradley. So I think there are some people who have gone, Oh, he's the next incarnation. Oh, hell, think what the ratings will be next series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Dave, this has to be the worst kept secret in Doctor Who of recent years. Would you agree? Uh, yes. It, it was, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, what was it? Was it the Radio Times that it was in? It could have been. I mean, now that the Radio Times isn't a BBC organ, um, they kind of just like to spoil everything. Yeah, so look, I think this was pretty well and truly spoiled what do you make of it well i think it kind of hinted at what the christmas special will be because his first line and i'll have to go back and watch it again he's obviously thinking about his upcoming regeneration as well and so you have the first doctor of that in uh run of life cycles thinking about it and now capaldi's the first doctor his run of life cycles thinking about it they're going to bump into each other hilarity will ensue uh, you know, I think that's probably what the Christmas special is going to be. So did did you just take it and assume that this is the Doctor from the Tenth Planet? Yes, absolutely. Because like I say, there was a line, and I wish I'd written it down there, he is he is thinking about his end as well. Mm. I'm not going to lock that into my mind for, for now because uh, he seemed a bit too um, with it to be the Doctor from the Tenth Planet. Oh, I know, but I think they're going to retcon that a bit and just make him yeah. you know, fairly mentally alert. Yeah, I hope they don't retcon it too much because, you know, the Doctor is dying through the Tenth Planet. He's very good in Part 1, and he's quite good in Part 3. You know, he's very strong when he confronts the Cybermen, but sort of once you get into Part 4, the Doctor declines very rapidly, and, you know, he, he's out of it by the time he's stumbling back to the TARDIS. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I hope they don't retcon that too much. In in terms of the performance, I, I have very mixed feelings. I, I don't mind that David Bradley is playing the, the, the first Doctor. I think that if you can accept um, Herndl in The Five Doctors, you kind of have to accept Bradley here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I'm, as much as I loved Adventure in Space and Time, I thought that David Bradley in that played William Hartnell wonderfully. He wasn't so good at playing the first Doctor. Oh, very much so. He kind of played his own version of the Doctor, not a sort of a, a version of Hartnell's Doctor. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be very intrigued to see what sort of performance we get of him entirely playing the first Doctor. I'm I'm very much suspending my judgment on this one. I think that it it could be a wonderful thing or it could be a, a horrible thing. You know, if, it, if it's sort of retconning the whole of the end of the first Doctor, I'm going to be quite upset. Um, if it's it, it, it could be a five minute thing. You think? I know, I, 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 but it could be. <laughs> well, here, here's one other thought that, that might put your mind at ease. What if, what if this is a figment of the Doctor's imagination? He really is in the snow himself, but he's just imagining his first self. Uh, yeah, look, that's a possibility as well. There, there are lots of possibilities, and that's why I'm suspending my, my, my judgment of this. It, it, it could be a really wonderful thing, and the idea of a two-Doctor story between Hartnell and Capaldi... I mean, it's it's taking my all-time favourite Doctor and, you know, somebody who's getting very close to knocking off Eccleston as my favourite new series Doctor. So it would be a pretty cool combination. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Like, like I say, I think the storyline, though, might be heading towards the first Doctor's going to regenerate for the first time. I know some people like to say there are more Doctors before Hartnell and stuff, but I think it's pretty established that Hartnell's the first Doctor. I, I think so. And so this is... He's, he's leading up to his first time. He knows it's going to happen. He's probably a bit, has some trepidation about it. He's a bit scared, perhaps. And Capaldi doesn't want to do it either. So maybe they're going to help each other through somehow, through the course of that story. Yeah, look, that that is the most obvious explanation. Mm. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and look, it could be good. And they say it'll be a bit lighter because it's Christmas and such. And it's going to be an interesting way for Capaldi to go out. He's had his case of Androzani, but now he's going to have some sort of, you know, semi-comedy thing, perhaps. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe anxiety until Christmas now, Dave. No, because I never have any apprehension that Christmas is going to be any good. <laughs> <laughs> On the rare occasions it is, it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I think we've covered... Look, there's so much more we could get into. Oh, oh, we almost didn't cover something. The Master's death scene. Oh, yeah. Those death scenes, plural, I think were sublime. You know, with the, the manic laughing going on as they both got each other. Is is Missy really dead? I mean, the Master's never gone into great detail about how he's come back from certain death again and again and again. So I'm sure we'll see the character again sometime, but it's unlikely to be Gomez, of course. Yeah, look, let's face it, if the Master can come back from Planet of Fire, he can come back from that. Yeah. You know, there's there's lots of possible explanations there. Yeah, that was a really, really good scene. I think it played to the best of both characters. It was very cleverly done. And it didn't give us that regeneration that I think some people expected. And I think it was the better for it. Yeah. I mean, it was it was explicit, though, that he would turn into her which people had been speculating about. 
you know, yes, yes. What, what, were there going to be other masters in the mix? What what was the actual order here and so on? It was explicit about that, and he obviously went down in the lift away to to regenerate into her, knowing that his future is to become good, and you know, probably just hating the thought of that. <laughs> yes, and it also means that dramatically, just as the Doctor doesn't know that he saved Bill, or the well, the Bill was saved. As far as he's concerned, the last thing he saw was Missy walking out on him, and that's it. Mm. He has no comprehension that she said, you know what, maybe I will go back for him. Maybe I've decided this uh, this after all, at least for now. Yeah, so Chibbers, take note when you're writing The Master in the future. There's there's a good little story to be mined there, I think. Yeah, now speaking of regeneration, one final little dot point for me. There was a moment there when I thought they were almost going to justify the fake regen for the middle of the series. Oh, really? It was the moment when Bill sees the regen energy on the Doctor's hand. Ah, uh, yep, yep. And I thought she was going to say, I know what this is because I've seen you do this before. And we were going to go, say, that's why they did the fake regen. It's to tip Bill off. And then she would say, I now know you're regenerating. I need to... And that was going to be where the episode would go. Right. But they didn't. Instead, she said, what's that, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> what's that? <laughs> I've, I've forgotten you did that. Yeah, so I was I was already I was I was halfway through sort of you know making the note. Oh, let's see if Rob forgives the fake regeneration because it, no, oh no, 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 they haven't done it. No, no. So so last episode I said, you know, that the power of seeing the regeneration at the start in the teaser was taken away because we'd already done it in Lie of the Land, making Lie of the Land a really stupid decision. And here, and it makes it an even stupid decision when the character who saw it happen doesn't even remember it happening. It <laughs> says, "What's that?" <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> Shall we do our words of the week? Sure. Uh, so, look, I'm, I might jump in. I picked Logopolitan. Yes. That's because at the end of last week, I thought they're doing Planet of the Spiders. They're doing the Doctor's arrogance, his hubris, his mistake, will lead to a point where it's it's cost him a companion. It's cost him a lot of other things, and and his regeneration is kind of karmic payback for that. And I think there's still an element of that. And as we've said, there's an element of Androzani in it as well. But about 25 minutes into this, I said, no, they're doing Legopolis. Mm. This is this is just the most doom laden, foreboding lead up to a Doctor's regeneration since Legopolis, where you just feel things collapsing around him. You feel things getting out of the Doctor's control, and you feel the regeneration coming. You feel his death coming. Not to mention the fact that he also shakes hands with the Master. Yeah. And so, you know, for all of this, I'm thinking this is this is great because I I love Legopolis as a regeneration story. I think that 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 atmosphere that builds up as you feel the regeneration coming is great, and they they did that here. You felt this you you, you felt this death of the Doctor coming, and you felt that nothing could stop it as the world just fell apart around him. And then they've even done the whole doctor, doctor, doctor montage at the end. Mm, true. And so I thought, yeah, this is, this is deliberate. They really have tried to invoke that wonderful funereal atmosphere of Legopolis. Yeah. Hence I thought it was Logopolitan. Yeah. And look, can I just say, we spoke earlier that, you know, they, they make it clear that Bill's been put through a grinder and put into the suit. So she can't come back. The line where the doctor says, look, if we go back to the TARDIS, you know, a thousand years will pass and they'll figure out how to, you know, get us. That really brought home to me. There's no getting back to the ship. Bill's stuffed. This, the stakes are huge here. 
Yeah, and and even the point where the doctor said, you know, I'll save as many of them as I can for as long as I can, you still get the feeling that at some point this civilization's stuffed. Yeah. He, he's, he's just buying these people all the time, and maybe they'll get a few more generations of happiness out of this, but at some point those Cybermen are coming. Yeah, it's very, very doom-laden. So, yeah, that's that's a good good example of Legopolis as well. Yeah, very, very true. My word was achievement. A uh, simple one this week for me. I, I didn't pull out the thesaurus. Um, <laughs> it was an achievement to have the second part pay off as well as it did. It's not perfect, but it pays off. I thought that was a real achievement, given that so often the second parts of finales haven't. And I also think it reflects the achievement of capping off Capaldi's era well. You know, this is a series Moffat never thought he'd even write. And he's come in, he's banged out a good series with his team of writers, and he's done well. You know, uh, Christmas will be more playful and fun, you know, as we've been discussing. So here, I think, is the real end of the era, and it's it's been done well. It's an achievement. It's also, I think, a wonderful achievement that Capaldi will leave with, I think most fans, an overwhelming majority of fans, in fact, will be sad to see him go and don't want him to go. And we'll be counting down the last minutes going, there's only 10 minutes of him left, there's only five minutes of him left. I'm really going to miss this guy. Did and if you can go out on top after all this time, that's a pretty good achievement. Very true. I'll have some more thoughts on that when we get to the sports desk. But for now, how about our scores out of 10? Okay. Do you want to go first this time? I will. I am throwing a 9 out of 10 at this. I know people out there will be saying, this was amazing, this was perfect, it's 10 out of 10. My God, Rob, what are you saying? But it just didn't quite get there for me, but it's so, so, so very close. A 9 out of 10. I'm going to go a 9 as well. I think there was a couple of little things that, that niggled at me. Uh, look, we, we've discussed the um, magical puddle rescuing bill didn't quite work for me. Uh, not so bad that it's you know given it more than a point off. A couple of moments from Missy didn't quite work for me. Um, the flying Simon didn't quite work. There, there, there were there were a couple of niggles enough enough niggles in this to take it from a ten to a nine. But you know that's all. Yeah, took the words right out of my mouth. Shall we go to the sports desk for the second last time? Off we go. So welcome back to the Sports Desk. This is the last time we'll be assessing our most valuable player, our player of the week and our foul of the week for an episode. But join us again next week where we give out our season MVPs and plays and fouls. So wait for that one. But we're going to start with our MVP for this week. Rob, who was yours? Well, before I get into it, Dave, I'm just going to say I'm going to miss this set. Uh, I like this set very much. It's it's good, but um maybe when we come back for season eleven we'll um we'll give it a paint job. Okay, sounds good. My MVP, Dave, is Peter Capaldi. Do I have a snap? Almost you did, but no, I've gone for somebody else. But I I I, I up until about the last point I, I I had Peter Capaldi. So yeah, go on. Very simply, we've discussed it at, at, at length here. He was just great in this episode. He got to do so much, he got to show of his impressive skills as an actor. I think acting alongside of him is like an acting masterclass, surely, 
for people like Pearl Mackey and, you know, Matt Lucas. They're going to cherish having this series with him forevermore. And I mentioned a moment ago that I'd have more to say about Capaldi here at the Sports Desk. This is the moment where I'm going to say it. You mentioned people will really miss Capaldi when he goes. I was saying that at the start of the series, like, here we go. People are going to really miss him at the end of this series. Do you know what? I'm going to say something controversial. I love him and I've enjoyed this series, but I'm almost ready to let him go. Yeah, okay. I can understand that. I'm not sure I agree, but I can understand it. Even in my own mind, when I say those words, there's part of my brain saying, what are you talking about? Is something wrong with you? But I think it was at the start of the series, because we hadn't had a third series of him, that I was feeling very strongly in that direction. And now that we've had the third series, I'm more comfortable, I think, with the fact that he's going. You know, if he did another series, I'd certainly watch it. I'd certainly love it. But... Yeah, it's interesting. Now that we've had the series, I'm I'm kind of okay with him going-ish. Having had this episode, I, I kind of do agree with you in part. If he can go out on top like this, maybe that would be better. You know, we, we can never know what the alternative world would have brought. It could be that we get a fourth series that's him even better. It could be perhaps that, yeah, we would have got a fourth season and... It actually was, you know, the other side of the peak. Yeah, you get halfway through and you think, mm, this is just more of the same, isn't it? And by halfway through, you may be a bit bored. That's not the way to go out. Yeah, so going out on top, I think, is a very, you know, good thing that he's done. Look, I agree. His performance here was absolutely amazing. Uh, we, for- we forgot to mention at the end of last week's episode just how good his performance in that final scene was. That moment when he hears John Sim's voice and the look of just abject horror mm. comes across his face. Like, he- he's already despondent and stricken that Bill's inside a Cyberman and then he hears the master's voice and there's another layer of horror that he can reach for. You know, that's a wonderful moment and you saw so much of that here. So yeah, I I got very close to giving it to Capaldi this week. Well, who did you give it to? This might shock a few people. I'm giving it to Stephen Moffat. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I think Stephen Moffat has had uh, an interesting time as the showrunner. There are some people who think that he's the best thing that's ever happened to Doctor Who. There are some people that can't stand anything and hate him and the the, the, the world that he walks on. But, you know, for me, there have been some wonderful times. There have been some times I haven't, haven't liked. Uh, there's been some wonderful stories and some stuff I haven't liked. This episode, I think, is the best finale that he's done for sure. And it was done in such a way... And with so many nods to classic fans like you and I, that I actually was thinking of the very end of Evita, where there's that song, You Must Love Me, which is all about her and um, Peron looking at each other thinking, you know, all this time I thought this was a marriage of convenience, but it turns out you really actually do love me. Mm. And you're only still here now because you do love me and you must actually have loved me all along. And there's a part of me with thinking as a classic fan you know what, Stephen Moffat, we've had our differences. There's been times I've hated you. There's been times I've loved you. But maybe you've loved us all along. Mm. That's nice. That's very nice. And, and yeah, certainly you and I, I think I can say, do sit in the middle of this Moffat debate. There are people out there who will defend anything and everything he does, which I find is just completely unrealistic. There's people out there who will just bag everything he does, which is equally unrealistic. I think we, we've, we're the, the sensible uh, centre. Dave. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> on this. And we'll we'll give brickbats and bouquets depending on what we think he deserves, not um, 
not any sort of ideology about him. And yeah, yeah, look, I think that what you've just said is very, very true. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful way of saying it, actually. Okay, well, on that sentimental note, hmm. I might go with my play of the week. Yes, please. I'm giving it to the speech the Doctor gives to the Masters. Yeah, yeah, good one. I thought this was a lovely summation of what the Doctor's about with, without it crossing the line into wanky. Too often in New Who, the Doctor gives these wonderful speeches about how awesome he is. And, you know, I think, I think the worst of them was that one where he's shouting at a giant CGI pumpkin face signing the Rings of Tedium. <laughs> Don't you know, remind I, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This to me, though, this, this, this really did ring true. This, this was his, you know, there are some corners of the, of the universe that have read the most terrible, terrible evil. This is him, you know, um, 10 billion years of absolute power. That's what it takes. This was his moment. This was his one of those. And for him to be saying it to his, his greatest enemy and, and, and explaining it all, I just thought this was a really wonderful scene. Capaldi plays it well. So that's my play of the week. There was some real world weariness there as well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. Maybe that doesn't matter, you know, like, but I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm paraphrasing there, of course, but you know the, the bit I mean. I do, I do. I, yeah, I thought that was a really lovely scene. Yeah. My play of the week is the Master's Death scene or scenes. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And the interplay between them there was great. I knew Missy was up to something when she was stroking his neck. I thought, is she going to snap his neck? How is she going to do this? But she had done it so quietly, and then he said, you know, oh, well, well played, or or whatever the line was, mm. and she pulls the hand away. It's covered in blood. And I thought, oh, wow. But the, for them to... For him to then shoot her and say, you know, you got the full blast, you are definitely dying. And they're both laughing. I thought, this is this is absolutely how I see the Master doing it. It, it. it wasn't manic, but it was a bit crazed. And it just, I, I don't think he could have done that better, that scene. No, it was pitched absolutely perfectly. It wasn't overplayed. There wasn't ridiculous amounts of music over the top or anything grandiose or anything manic, as you say. I think it, I think you're right. It was it was perfectly pitched. It felt real to both characters. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a really good moment. And, 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 yes, that moment when she looks like she's going to go in for the uh, the kiss and actually stabs him, that was so Servalan-esque as well. <laughs> More Blake 7. More Blake 7. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing a Blake 7 podcast next, folks. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Foul of the week. I'll take lead here. For me, the foul of the week was the return of the pilot. Yes, it was set up at the start of the series. People can say, oh, Moffat loves to set things up at the start of the series. Then they come back. Yes, I get that. And yes, the pilot has these powers. But I just think it's such a rubbish character. As if Sentient Engine Oil could track and follow the TARDIS to the ends of the universe. As if it could do all this stuff. It just feels really... I'm going to say the word unrealistic, and people will say, well, that's the whole point. It's a, it's a fantasy sort of concept, Rob. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. I just find it a bit silly and a bit rubbish. And so for, for it to come back and save the day, I was like, oh, did it have to be this? But I guess out of everything, that's probably one of the few deus ex machinas they, they could have accessed. Well, Rob, for most of this episode, I was going to go with the scene of the flying Cybermen for the reasons we've discussed. However, yeah. snap. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to say it for a different reason. I've spoken very passionately and very honestly about the way that they've played uh, a, 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 a gay character as a companion very well in this series. They haven't 
hammered us over the head with an electricist about it. They haven't made it too overt. They've, they've made it, for the most part, feel natural. A few clunky lines here and there, but, you know, that's okay. You've got straight guys writing for gay characters. That happens. Yeah. But this idea that they've fallen in love and want to spend eternity together based on having, what, locked eyes in a bar? Yeah, I saw you at a nightclub. Let's spend our lives together. Yeah, that to me, not only did it ring hollow in the way for any relationship, but I thought this idea that it kind of implies, I don't want to go all social justice warrior here because that's certainly not me, but (laughs) maybe this idea that, you know, gay people are superficial and just, you know what, you're cute, therefore we're going to spend eternity together and they've never really got to know each other or understand each other and... I thought that that underscored it as well as all the reasons you said, Rob. So, look, I didn't hate it. And I'm not sitting here defying it and wanting it to burn in the fires of Mordor or anything like that. No, no, no. Not not like that. Although I just have had the thought, does this mean the sentient engine oil has been watching Bill all this time? That's, that's kind of creepy in and of itself. However, when Bill's been in peril in the past, why hasn't the sentient engine oil jumped in? Well, did it did it take her to cry before it could find her? And has she not shed a tear before? I don't know. That's a good point. Okay. I'd, I'd have to think about that. But yeah, maybe that's the case. Yeah. And look, look, I can accept it. It works. And, and a number of times in these reviews, I've said on occasions, why couldn't they cover something with a line? And, and in this episode, they did a lot of that. Um, I, I could have complained about, you know, Bill breaking her programming. But the doctor says, well, it's because you went through the monkey experience. So therefore, you know reality from fiction and therefore you can resist the programming better and i thought it's a pretty pretty tacky explanation but hey they've covered it with a line yeah so therefore in the in the fiction of the episode i have to buy it that's cool thank you for giving me the line and that's a good example of how you do cover something with a line mm. so so this does work within the fictions you say it yeah i think we've both explained ourselves Alrighty, shall we move on to listener messages? Because I know we've got quite a few this week, and we're already well over an hour here. We are, but um, I don't think listener messages count as part of the runtime, do they? Okay, fair enough. So they're, so they're we, extra. So our episode has been pretty much along the lines of the running time of the episode. Yeah, and now we get into the bonus time, which is uh, what all of you guys wanted to say. And can I just say the number of responses we've had this week? showing how much engagement there's been with us and what what we're saying is really, really flattering, guys. So, you know, whether it's the messages you've sent here that we read out, comments on Twitter during the week, um, yeah, this engagement's really been really positive. We've we've been really quite flattered. Yeah, we've had lots of huge discussions on Twitter as well. That's that's great. So the first we have is from Richard Nolan, who is a friend of the podcast, who's my co-host on the Goodies Pirate podcast. And he and I first met in Victorian fandom... 24 years ago. Wow. (laughs) So Richard says, hello, gentlemen. Hello, Richard. What a ride for the finale. I really enjoyed World Enough and Time once he got going. And like you, I was hoping A, Bill stayed converted and B, the next time trailer wasn't indicative of episode 12. I was a little worried going into the Doctor Falls, but it wasn't the story light set piece action fest I'd feared. And it mostly delivered strong performances, Great moments. Overall, this was a solid end to the season. I was left with some questions, but maybe I'm trying too hard to squeeze every last plot point. I'm still curious about the whole Mondas thing, though. Don't worry, Richard, so are we. Yes, and we discussed it earlier. However, I found the last few minutes a letdown. 
I may not get modern storytelling or how the Doctor works these days, but while I thought Cyber Bill worked really well and Pearl Mackey was great, the resolution of Bill's story felt like Clara 2.0, a cop-out and a detraction from what could have been a good story to that point. I had also rather hoped the David Bradley rumours weren't true, but maybe there's still another rabbit in Stephen Moffat's hat. Anyway, roll on Christmas. Cheers, Richard Nolan. Well, thank you, Richard. There's some good points there, and I think we're pretty much on the same page with most of them. And can I just add to somebody who knows Richard, this is the first time in several years he's watched the entire season as it's aired, which just shows how much this has gripped some fans and what a good season it's been. Richard also has a PS, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, One for Rob. Oh. Have you picked up Exterminate? Got it a week or two back and still putting the models together. The one game I've played was okay. I think it might be a good game once you get into it, although just Daleks versus Cybermen might get boring after a few games. Models are pretty nice for plastics and go well together. The Daleks might need a bit of gap filling and should be easy to paint. Rob, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> He's talking about the new war game that's out there where you get Daleks and Cybermen and, and you can war game with them, essentially. There will be Doctor figures and uh, companions and other monsters and so on. It's, it's essentially a, a war game, a tabletop game, if you will. Uh, the quick answer is, Richard, no, I haven't picked it up. I'm more looking at the Gale Force 9 Doctor Who board game that's coming out, which also has some equally nice miniatures in it. But uh, maybe that's a topic for our next monthly show uh yes i think so <laughs> and um there's also a pps but we're going to save that for the monthly show because it's on that topic excellent uh rob from the 42 to doomsday podcast hello rob another good friend of ours down there in melbourne yes hi rob Stephen moffat why have you waited seven years to write something this good some fluff aside my god that was good he's referring to <laughs> the previous episode here but uh it'll be interesting to know if he uh, thinks the same about this episode uh, yes, and again, for somebody who I think we can fairly say is not that enamoured with uh, Moffat's era of Doctor Who, that's high praise. Huge praise. Yeah. I've got one from Ezra Penny coming by email. Thank you again, Ezra, for uh, engaging us throughout most of this season, in fact. Hi there. I just watched the first part of the Doctor Who Series 10 finale, World Enough and Time, and what an episode it was. My word of the week was final. Right from the opening, I was hooked although I can't really say the same for the rest of my family. That short clip from what I presume is the Christmas special was perfect for this episode, and I hope it doesn't turn into a rerun of The Lie of the Land. Then we had the I'm Doctor Who moment with Missy, which I loved. The joking about the Doctor's name being Doctor Who and how it streamlines every conversation that the Doctor has. But then Mr. Blue, I can't remember his real name, came on and did the whole thing with the gun. The Doctor did a brilliant speech, but the trigger was pulled anyway to great effect. We cut to a fantastic scene with the Doctor persuading Bill to come on this mission. The food in that scene goes on and on. Was Stephen Moffat hungry when he wrote this? And and describing the master. Then Bill is taken away to the hospital, the creepiest setting we've had in an episode since The Empty Child. I'll I'll agree with that. Well, good call. The whole thing about repeating pain, pain, and then her being discovered, leading to another genius scene with Bill and the master in disguise, watching the Doctor do his explanation in super slow motion. And while talking about The Master, John Sims' performance was amazing in this episode. He was spot on, and I was kept guessing on who he was until he confronted Missy towards the end of the episode. The reason for my word of the week was that this, as well as being the finale, I hope that Bill's death is final, and that this is the final appearance of the John Sim and possibly Michelle Gomez as their respective masters. 
This was also Peter's last regular episode. As far as I can remember, next week is an hour. My MVP is Stephen Moffat for making the timey-wimey of this episode. My play of the week was the first scene after the titles with Missy. My foul of the week was the fact that it took this long for somebody to do an origin of the Mondasian Cybermen. Well, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer because this wasn't an origin of the yeah. Mondasian Cybermen. The Sorry end. about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for taking the time to read this very long email. And that's from Ezra Penny. Excellent, Ezra. Well, we agree on some of those things. Uh, disagree on a few, like uh, Missy's opening I'm Doctor Who line. I know that made some people laugh, but I, I didn't like it, and I don't think you did either, Dave. Uh, the, as I said at the time, the first 10% made me laugh. The next 90% made me want it over. Yeah, and for, for people who aren't fans of the show, they'd just be thinking, huh? Yeah, let's get back to that right at the end. I think that's an important point, Rob. But we've got another couple of emails. We certainly do. Here's one from Harry Membry. It's come in by email. Harry's writing to us for the first time, so g'day, Harry. He says, Hi, Rob and Dave. I thought the episode was fantastic. Here he's talking about previous episode, World Enough and Time. I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning of season 10, and I must say this episode was my favourite. I didn't enjoy the stupidness of Missy in the opening first few minutes, and I did realise it was the master as soon as I saw his disguise, but I love the extremely creepy vibe of the episode, which I think Doctor Who needs a lot more of. Keep up the good work, guys. From Harry. Thanks, Harry. That's an interesting point, and I think we agree with a lot of that as well. Yep. One by email from John Hall. Thanks again for writing in, John. Hi, guys. Interesting points lately. Censorship and warnings in Australia. Is this common? I know there's a history with censored missing episode segments. I heard radio is less censored your way. Masters TARDIS. Is that the crate he walks out of? See the attached photo. We'll, we'll, we'll tweet that out. Um, and will we see inside? No, we didn't. But, yeah, it would have been cool to see inside the Masters TARDIS. Hmm. Keep warm, first Doctor's last words. Tenth Doctor's last was, I don't want to go. Stephen Moffat did keep them the same in Day of the Doctor. Good point, John. Hadn't thought about that. Uh, in terms of censorship, I can't remember this many censorship warnings before a series of Doctor Who. No. No. It's like the ABC's really worried. Like, oh, this might scare you. This might be supernatural. This might, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and, and the one this morning was like a real, you know, under 15, watch out. This is, this is quite horrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall this in other, other series. Um, but that's all they are. They're just warnings, you know. Yeah, they are. They haven't actually cut the episode. But, uh, again, when I look back at, you know, being a six-year-old watching the Hinchcliffe era in front of the TV on the ABC in the evenings, and now we've got a series where if you're under 15, the parents are being advised, well, you know, we're warning you before you let your kid watch this. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. Mike Solko has written to us by email. Hello, friends. What a brilliant episode of Doctor Who. Again, referring to World Enough and Time. I'd likely go a 9 out of 10, although it's hard to judge until we see the next episode. There were loads of great quips peppered throughout the episode that will make for fun badge ribbons someday. A few scattered thoughts. One, it seems like a missed opportunity to have Nardole, a cyborg, around without it playing into the story yet. What if his inner workings were the key the Mondasians needed to design full conversions? Well... Good point, but unfortunately didn't come true. Had Doctor Who not interfered, would the more ruthless Missy have prevented Bill from being shot? It's mm, a good question, although I think she might have got them all shot. <laughs> Missy doesn't remember any of this. Is it the same temporal rules as the multi-Doctor episodes, or is she going to regenerate into Jacoby? Yeah, that's a really good point, and it actually was stated implicitly in this episode that, yes, it was the same multi-Doctor memory rule that I think fandoms always sort of understood to be the rule but it was implicitly stated here yeah yeah 
most of all, I hope Grand Moff Stephen has managed to pull off the trick RTD couldn't and surprises us with the new Doctor. Imagine if Chibnall starts filming the Christmas story this week. Well, no, I think Moffat's in charge of the Christmas story, and we didn't see the new Doctor, even though we thought there was a good chance. Which means that presumably we're going to get a formal Doctor announcement sometime maybe in the next few weeks. I would say so, because they've either been on set or they're about to be on set, and it they'll just get it out there so it doesn't leak yeah i think so uh finishing up from mike silly musings aside thank you both as well as paul uh, of course he did a couple of episodes for bringing these weekly recaps to us it's tough to turn around analysis with weeks to plan and you guys manage it with only a few hours or well, a few hours mike how about a few minutes <laughs> 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 it's been fun going on this excellent adventure with you now to see if the monthly episode can fill the hole in my heart thanks from mike that's very kind of you mike thank you and we've got one more. This is from Martin Oates, another regular. Thanks again for writing into us, Martin. Evening. Just listen to your review of World Enough and Time. As always, it was a good listen. Oh, thank you. If you remember, my word was disappointed after first viewing. It has probably morphed into sad upon second viewing. The next time trailer after the Eaters of Light and the constant spoilers meant that the creepy people who spoke electronically were prototype Cybermen and we knew the Master was returning, but who could it be? Oh, it's the Hobbit character. Two of the biggest... <laughs> the Hobbit character. <laughs> yeah, that's even better than Zathras. Well done on that one, Mark. Yeah. Uh, two of the biggest reveals for quite some time completely ruined, unlike when the little boy was revealed to be Davros last season. The Doctor Who bits, rubbish. This is far too close to a jump the shark moment. Oh, big time. Yeah, I agree with that. Bill was excellent throughout, and the bit with the volume control was very well done. It was great to see the Red Dwarf doubling as a colony ship. <laughs> it did cross my mind as well. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. The flashback scenes were easily the standout moments. Love them. So very well played by all three. Yeah. What was the stuff at the end about the neural network? Did the Mondasian Cybermen have that? And is it likely that they had that from day one? I hate moaning about my beloved Doctor Who, but on this occasion, I feel it's entirely justified. It was a well-rendered story, but tried to be far too clever too much of the time, which might have worked if we hadn't seen the spoils and trailers. Love the show. Keep up the good work and hope you'll be doing a season wrap-up show too. Cheers, Martin. P.S. More regeneration scenes. No, no, no. It's wrong to use these like this. It's a big deal. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> great email martin and uh yes we will be doing the season uh wrap-up show and uh i agree with many of your comments there. and just on the neural network that's a good point you know even if they had a neural network eventually would they have had it so very early in their uh evolution uh yeah look i guess the answer is yes yeah yeah the way they played it the answer is yes uh the the cyberman you know looked into the neural network and decided yes i'm bill potts so yeah we've got to go with it Although I suppose, given that it was Bill Potts, did it did it actually have to look into the neural network? That's a really good question, actually. And I think that led to some people out there thinking, is that possibly not Bill? And it's another Cyberman saying, I am Bill Potts because they are all Bill Potts because they're all connected. Yeah, no, look, I think given that we saw the... Um the bill's eye underneath the visor. I think it, it, it was, yeah. Yeah, of course. It just made some people think it might have been a hive mind or something, but uh, no. Yeah. So just to draw out that one last point from those messages, once again, how do you reckon this would have gone over for a casual viewer? Oh, someone coming in who didn't see last week's, and that's the nature of a casual viewer. They don't see every episode. I think they would have been mighty confused. 
<laughs> and uh, and obviously some elements were there for fans as well. I think I think a lot of Moffat Who's been for the fans. You know, no matter what people say, it's very impenetrable at times. Yeah, I'll be very interested to get a feel over the next week of how this has landed with the casual viewer, because there's a lot of great adventure here that I think will just carry a casual viewer along, but there also was a lot of mythos in this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that I think Chibnall might not go in for as much, even though he's an old school fan and he loves that stuff. I think he might be looking at this and thinking, hmm, there's a different way to do things. And if he's going to be more populist, you can't go down all these rabbit holes all the time. It is. So, Arkwatch. It's all done, isn't it? Apart from what the Doctor's up to at the uh, Antarctic. Yeah, we, we know Bill's thread, we know Nardle's thread, we know Missy's thread, we know the Master's thread. We know the Cyberman's thread. All that's left is the Doctor's thread. Yeah, and we discussed, uh, well, what, what seems most obvious when he bumps into the first Doctor, um, which is something we were talking about in the last episode, so that's how obvious it's been. We were talking about it before it even happened. Yeah. Fanwatch, what will be exercising the fans this week, do you think, Rob? Oh, possibly some of the stuff we've discussed, the reappearance of the pilot, whether that pays off or not. You know, a uh, typical finale, throw everything against the wall and try and, you know, pull some of it back and give it a resolution. Um, yeah, that, that that's probably it for me, just, just the way this was resolved. Yeah, I think that now that episode 12 has screened and now that the Christmas episode, as you said, is about to start filming, we are going to crank up to 11 the who is the next Doctor speculation. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. You know, Capaldi's had his series... And the, the Christmas story is all about introducing the new Doctor, so bringing out the new Doctor in publicity won't be disrespectful to Capaldi in any way, shape or form. Uh, yes, and it seems at this stage it is going to be a total surprise. There's a couple of names that I've heard rumoured, but compared to, you know, this time, last time, when uh, everybody kind of knew it was going to be Peter Capaldi, mm. we really don't know anything. All right, next week, the Doctor Who show team well, that's us, uh, is going to wrap up Series 10. Uh, have our scores changed? How do we feel about it overall? If you have anything to say about the series overall, you can always drop us a line. Isn't that right, Dave? Yep, that's absolutely right. We'll be talking about all those things that sort of need a bit of a larger discussion. How does this season compare to others? Where does Doctor Who go next? And we will, for the final time this year, be visiting the sports desk. Yes. So we will be giving our Brownlow medal if you like. That's a nice little Melbourne reference there. But our, our our award for the most valued player of the season, play of the season, and foul of the season. Yeah, I'll be giving a Dally M, uh, not a Brownlow, Dave. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what we'll be doing. Excellent. All right, thank you for listening to us. This has been a much longer episode than usual, but I think it was well justified being an hour-long story and the finale itself. And, uh, Dave, I'll catch up with you next week. Looking forward to it. See you then. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.